Luke chapter 3. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys like a good storyteller? You know, that guy or that gal in your family that just said, let me tell you a story. And everyone just quiet. Wow, it's going to be good. And you know it's going to take some time, and there's going to be a run-up, and there's going to be a build-up, and then there's going to be the middle, and the crescendo, and then all the smiles, and the connection. Luke's doing that. Luke chapter 1, he goes so far back, farther back than any of the other gospel writers, farther than Mark or Matthew or John. He says, I'm going to go so far back, I'm going to go to the Old Testament. In detail, what happened in Malachi 400 years before Jesus. And then as he concludes his book, he goes further into the future than any other writer, and he records the ascension of Christ, the whole story. I just love Luke. He's a storyteller. I say that to say this. We're in chapter 3 now, and Luke introduces to us John the baptizer as a man. We've seen John the baptizer as a baby, and now he's the man baptizer. He's only got a real small vignette in all of the scriptures. His ministry lasted less than two years before it was off with his head. He died, never performed a miracle, never walked on water, never healed anybody, never prophesied really. But what he did do was proclaim and point to Jesus real well. Only took him a year and a half, two years at the most, pointing at Jesus. And Jesus concluded, I just say this at the front end before you tune me out. Don't tune me out. Jesus said of J the B, he said he's the greatest prophet ever. Greater than Jeremiah, wrote a pretty long book, did some great stuff. Greater than Isaiah, greater than Elijah and Elisha combined. Greater than Daniel, greater than Jonah. Jonah spent some time in a whale, that's pretty cool. You know, kind of, you know, kind of came out, got a book out of the deal, you know, and whatever. Jesus says, nah, John the Baptist, my six-month elder cousin, the greatest. No one greater. I say that because most of you look at those other Old Testament prophets and think, well, I ain't about to go in a whale. I'm not trying to be like Isaiah or Elijah. Here's what you should be like, John the baptizer, who pointed to Jesus, who said, this is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. This is who you guys are looking for. Even when asked in today's story, are you the one we're looking for, John? <laughs> no. I'm not even worthy to touch his Nikes sandals in those days. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I can't even. There's one coming, and he did his job well. Luke is including this story for our edification. And so let's pray before I even read and ask God to bless us. Father, in Jesus' name now, we take this day so seriously. It's the day you've made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We are guaranteed that you know what's happening. It says in the scriptures that our days are numbered, that it has been appointed unto us one day to die and then the judgment, and we want to make that appointment well with your blood upon the doorposts of our hearts, knowing, Lord, that we are forgiven past, present, and future, and we are dedicated and disciplined today. And so may your word produce much fruit in us. Lord, if there be any man or woman here that is just on the outside looking in or is high-centered in life or distracted by the cares of things lord may you just do a work do a work in us lord through your word your word is illumination to our path and for our feet your word does not return void but it changes things so lord i thank you as your teacher today that your word is more powerful than i'll ever understand and you've asked me to teach it not teach me and so your word will do great things and we trust you to this end in jesus name amen picking up in verse seven where we left off last week chapter three of luke this is his sermon. Now, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, and I listen to sermons. I like to listen. Yesterday, I listened to two or three sermons while driving to Corvallis and back. And I listen to other pastors and preachers, and I think, ooh, I like how they said that. 
That's good. That made sense to me. That got a hold of my heart. I'm going to use that. I'm going to share that. When I read John the Baptizer's sermon, I don't think that way. Like, oh, I'm going to use that. John the Baptizer's sermon starts out this way, verse 7. He says this. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers. You family of snakes, all y'all. Imagine the family going to church. Hey, come on, kids, we're going to go see John the Baptizer. He's like, big old bunch of snakes right there. He's like, what? He goes on, he goes on to say, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Getting to the heart of the issue. Why indeed are you worried about your soul? Why are you worried about your issues? Well, I don't want to get punished. Well, that doesn't take that much smarts to not want to get punished. There's a different kind of worry, though. The worry that says this. I just want to be right with God. I don't want, it's not that the punishment scares me so much. That's worldly sorrow. But there is a godly sorrow that says, I just want to be connected to the king. And John asks this question, What's your, where's your conviction lie? Why are you running from the wrath to come? Verse 8, therefore. Okay, he preaches to them. Now, what to do? Kind of gave him a little bit of shock therapy at the beginning. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. No excuses, he says. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Your lineage, your heritage, your race, your ethnicity that they were hanging on to. Kind of a corporate salvation mentality. Well, I'm a good person, you know. I live in a good neighborhood. There's a gate. Jail doesn't count as a gate. Gated neighborhood gets different. Okay. <laughs> You know, we have our justifications. No, no, don't do that. God, he's looking at the heart of the issue. And then he goes on to say in his sermon, and even now, he says, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. God's going to get to the root of the issue, not just the fruit. Because when you deal with the root, you deal with the fruit. Okay, don't just deal with the fruit, the outside stuff. That's called behavior modification. That's what our culture does. That's all the government knows how to do, behavior modification, okay? Just, just medicate it, just fix it, just kind of put a mask over it. God says, well, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm going to go to the root with an axe, take out which is dead, and I'm going to implant that which is life. And out of you will come life. It's so good, it's so good. This sermon's actually better than it appears. <sighs> Jesus said he's the best. So he's the best, he's the best. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit, well, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, so the people, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, verse 10, instead of saying, throwing tomatoes at him and leaving the service, say, well, what shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, and he gives them very practical instruction. Stop right there, eyes up here, we're done, we'll keep reading in a minute. He gives them practical instruction. If you got too much stuff, give some away. If you see somebody in need, help them. If you're a tax collector, don't lie about it. If you're in charge of somebody in the military, don't be a bully. Gives all these crazy practical. And I just say that at the beginning to say this. A lot of people think that when God gets a hold of you that he wants you to just go big, right? I mean, just so far and so beyond what you could normally do. And he may call some of you to that eventually. But what he's calling all of us to immediately is real practical Christianity, okay? A lifestyle of just integrity, day in and day out. Doing things right all the time. And then when God calls upon you to do those big things from time to time, you'll be ready, you'll be polished, you'll be sharp. Oftentimes Christians, though, minimize and marginalize the things that don't matter. 
it's not that big a deal. It's just me and just my decision here when I'm doing my taxes. He talks to the tax collectors. Or me and my decision here when it comes to my heart and my generosity towards others. And when God calls me to go somewhere big, though, I'm about about it, you know. And he says, no, that's, that's backwards. Seek ye first, Jesus said in Matthew 5, the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. First, and all these other things shall be added unto you. All the big stuff, all the hard stuff. I have a lot more small days than I do big days in my life. I don't know about you. Okay, I've got big events, things that happen. I, oh, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a big deal. I get more small deals, though, that matter just as much. Wouldn't it be radical if the church of God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the small deals serious. I'm going to take my home life when I get up in the morning. I'm going to get up a little earlier, just a small thing. And I'm going to read and pray and get into the word and consecrate my mind and my thoughts so I don't lash out at my spouse or my kiddos or my neighbor or my employer or my government or my president. The list goes on and on. I'm just going to walk with the Lord and trust him. You'll be the one to enjoy the fruit. John really, when asked, what do we do? Instead of this big hardline sermon, he said, just do what's right, man snakes he, he goes on to preach some stuff here's the deal about john that i really like is that he was giving the truth in love you can't have the two separate from one another just the truth without love is abuse okay just love without truth is abuse you need both you need both. You can just love your kids so much. I love you guys so much. You know what? I, just, I, I think this will bless you. Ice cream for breakfast, ice cream for lunch, ice cream for dinner. Let's take a vote. Arr! You know, all your brainless kids go for it. Snakes. I got three of them. But instead of just loving them in that, that way, you give them truth. You say, you know what? We're going to have a little bit of ice cream. A little bit, because I love you. But you got to get what you need. You got to get the truth. You got to get that broccoli in there. You know what I'm saying? You got to get that stuff in there. And all broccoli, though, and no ice cream is also equally abusive. John here, man, you guys sent out there eating locust sticks, you know, honey sticks, and got all this stuff going on, and camel skins, and dreadlocks, and preaching. Snakes. What do we do? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Glad you asked. Prepare the way for the one to come. Prepare the way. Now, the prophecy on this man 400 years prior, Malachi chapter 3 and 4, declared that this man would show up preparing the way for the messenger that would come into the temple and change everything, Jesus Christ. And when this man, John the baptizer, showed up, he would do a few things. He would turn the hearts of the children of Israel upwards towards their father. He would turn the hearts of fathers, that is earthly, to their children. He would do work, preparing the way, removing the clutter and the litter and the garbage. It just so easily gets in your way. Don't raise your hand, but have you found your life cluttered so easily? Just like, whoa, where does this stuff come from? Maybe not even sinful stuff. That's the scary stuff right there. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, I think, to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnare us. Sin is obvious. You've got to get rid of that stuff. It's going to mess you up. What about the weights, though? Just the stuff that, it's not sinful by any category, but it's not helping me. I try and use the two W's when I make decisions. Is this wings that will help me to fly higher and closer to God, or is this weight that will keep me down? 
and will cost me more than I can pay. And John just says, hey, guys, let's just deal with some of this stuff. Let's deal with this because the Holy Spirit is going to get to the root of the issue, this prophecy over this man. Now, here's the beauty about John again is that he was pointing people to Jesus because it really is all about Jesus. Just driving over here this morning, I didn't bring my kids so I don't lose my mind. They're here now. Thank you, honey. I turned the music off, and I just, me and the Lord were in the car. It was cool. And I was like, oh, whoa, Jesus. Just driving, asking for help. And you just felt the goodness, the sweetness of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And he's always ready, always there, always available. And John pointed vehemently to him, vehemently. And did the research even in his latter days, right before his death, he would even send his disciples out to kind of double click on Jesus once again. Go ask him. Go make sure. Okay. Go ask him if he's the one. Because I just want to be all in. And his, his ministry is to point to Jesus. And I hope you get, you get that. I hope you don't just think Jesus is a token or, you know, a part or a piece or just a person. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one does anything good at all apart from him. No one gets to heaven apart from him. But all whosoever would go to him would be accepted. And, by, and in no way cast out. That's crazy town. This guy's a pretty important deal. Jesus, he's so important that he can forgive your past. You realize that, right? No one else can do that. I talk to people from time to time about how they're going to deal with their past. I ask them, have you ever offended anyone? Well, yeah. So what are you going to do about that? I don't, I got no answer, right? What are you going to do about your past sins? Jesus said, I'll go back there and I'll cover them. Colossians chapter one, two, or three, you decide says that the handwriting of requirements that was against you, that is the list of stuff you've done wrong, has been blotted out with blood, nailed to the cross. Anybody got a past? Raise your hand. A past? Okay. The rest of you just created a past for yourself full of lies. <laughs> Welcome to the party. Jesus took care of that. Jesus is so important, he, he can forgive your past, but he can also, oh, he can also change your heart now. To, to, to take care of someone's past? How is that even possible? It's not, unless you're Jesus. To take care of my heart? To change my heart, my, my knower, my insides? To be born again, to put it in Christ's words? A new heart? No one can do that. Jesus doesn't give good advice, okay? Lest you be deceived. He gives good news, okay? Born again. Oh, where's this fruit coming from? Out of my life now. It's coming from the new nature that is you. That's what Christ does. It's an exchange. He takes your nature of sin and death and <clears throat> absorbs it and then gives you his nature of life and righteousness, which you don't deserve, never will, but it's what he does. Not only does he forgive your past and change your heart, he secures your future. This is exciting. I'm not yet old, lest you be deceived. <laughs> Consider it well. I'm still very young, but I am getting older. I'm going to die, okay? One day, everyone dies. And I'm not afraid of death. Not at all. My, my future is so secure. It is so wonderfully secure because of Jesus. Because he's gone there. He, he said, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about that. And rejoice in the problems of today, for I've overcome the world. Jesus, he's so important. John the Baptist lived. And this church lives, and this man lives, and I hope you live to ever proclaim Jesus and to serve him and to know him.
He does everything. What we need to do, we, is to repent of who we are and accept who he is. Okay, true repentance, I put this on Facebook a couple days ago, true repentance is a change of heart, that's what he does, which leads to a change of mind, which leads to a change of action, the fruit. Because you need your heart changed, you need to be born again. And when you're born again, it's... Uh, I'm not saying I don't worry, I'm not saying I don't strive, I'm not saying I don't sin, but I'm born again, okay? And God said, what I began in you, I'll finish. Don't trip. And being confident of this very thing, he who began a work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And knowing this, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose and do not walk according to the lust, but according to the spirit and whom he foreknew, he predestined, verse 29 of Romans 8, to be conformed to the image of his son. You're predestined, if you're a believer, to be conformed into the image of Jesus. It's going to happen. Even if you're a little bit stubborn on the way. Even if you don't know everything. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. John, the Baptist, this, this crazy guy, was so set free to be himself because he operated in truth and love. And I'm talking way too much. We got some words to study here. I got some verses to get through. But let me tell a story. <laughs> the Bible says to guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And you can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. God won't change your mind, but he will change your heart. And if you change your mind, God will change your heart. The heart of the issue is an issue of your heart. That's where God does his work. Your battle is in your mind. Will you submit your mind to what God has declared is true? Let God be true and every man a liar. And God, I declare you to be true. You are, you are true. And all of a sudden, your heart begins to change. When, when I moved to Ashland, Oregon in 1997, the first person I met was Mike Swinford. And we were instant buddies because he had a bong stem and I had some weed, okay? Well, we're best friends. We complete each other. And for two years, we were best friends in, in the drug world and all the rest. And eventually, God rescued me. And I surrendered and submitted and confessed my sins. And, and, and Mike did not. And yet, I went to see Mike one day at the Greenleaf restaurant where he was working at the time. And he said, hey, I've been reading the Koran. A Muslim disciple had come to him and given him the Koran. And he thought that would impress me because I'm a you know, spiritual dude. I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome, man. Good to hear it. Hey, here's an idea. Why don't you come to this Friday luncheon at the Ashland Christian Fellowship, free food at noon, and for a stoner, free food, got him. <laughs> got him. And so Mike showed up at this, this event, and it was, I remember it. I remember it. He was looking around, there was 100 guys there, and he showed up and got his free food, and he was hungry. He was hungry, and uh, he, he ate his food, and he got spooked and took off. He, did, he didn't stay for the message. There was a message, too. But I continued to work on Mike with the company of the Holy Spirit. Long story short, Mike Swinford gave his life to Jesus Christ, okay? Got saved, okay? Got saved. But I remember this. We were driving down to Chico, California, maybe somewhere else, San Diego. I don't know where we were driving, but pick up our other roommate. And Mike was still struggling with the, with the drugs. You guys have seen this experience in your own life, possibly. And he told me something interesting. He said, Luke, I don't have a problem getting high. And loving Jesus. For me, it's okay. Now, I was driving and I thought to myself, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Pretty sure that's going to be a conflict. But the Lord told me to just shut up, hold my tongue. So I didn't say anything. I was like, cool. Good for you, Mike. I said, for me, though, there's a big disconnect. When I do that stuff, it's, I'm, it's, I'm a mess. 
I, I can't connect. I said, for me, it's not okay. It's, it's sin. It's wrong. I can't engage with God. And I said, if that's where you're at, hey, cool. Three days later, he calls me on the phone. This is when we had landlines. Remember those? Land, called me on the phone. He's like, Luke, I got to quit smoking the Buddha. And I was like, what, really? You know, why? Tell me why. And he said, well, I'm here at my house, and I'm reading my Bible. And, oh, it's just, it's, I can't get it. And I'm, I'm praying. I'm trying to connect. And it's, oh, there's a disconnect. And I grab my guitar, and I'm trying to worship, and it's not. And I just feel this. And it was so cool for me, because I could have hammered him. could have told him what I knew, what I thought, and what I believed. But I chose to trust the Lord, that he would get a hold of his heart, because he had already lived there. And out of your heart flow the issues of life. And when your heart, friends, is where Jesus dwells, he's going to convict you, he's going to comfort you, he's going to lead you day in and day out. John is that in the wilderness pointing to Jesus, so important, giving them practical revelation and application to Christianity, preparing the way again, John the baptizer, the last Old Testament prophet, preaching an Old Testament message. The New Testament doesn't begin until the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. New covenant, new promise, new testament. So this message, I'll prepare the way. There's one coming, but guess what, guys? He'll say, the one that's coming is nothing compared to what I can give you. He'll go on to say, I can baptize you on the outside. He'll baptize you with fire and with Holy Spirit. With me, you'll just be a wet, repentant sinner. Okay? With him, you'll be a hot, on fire, filled sinner that has been saved with a new nature redeemed it's just it's so encouraging and i just love luke he just includes this story he could get right to some of the good stuff where jesus is preaching he's like no no this is important this man who paves the way because he does so much for guys like me and mike swinford and others who heard john so now let's just look into his sermon a little bit and see how, how far we can get we've got some more time. It says, then he said, verse 7, to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, he says, he doesn't just let them lie there with this condescending comment. A bunch of punks. And they knew they were punks. They knew they were vipers. They knew. But he doesn't leave them there. He gives them instruction now because it's truth and love. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our fathers. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now, again, it's kind of an interesting way to go about addressing your congregation, but it is indeed truth in love. And their response was, is what shall we do? Because the bottom line is no one wants to be lied to. No matter where you go, you want the truth, even if it hurts a little. You, you, you need the truth. Matter of fact, I went to Reedsport on Thursday, I believe it was, and I bought a new vehicle, a new used vehicle, an 08 Tahoe. Bought that for my family. We needed something bigger than the Subaru race car and all of that. And so we bought that. And, I, and, I, and one of the stipulations, I'd driven it twice and knew the guy a little bit, just on Craigslist and then small interaction. But I had never had my mechanic look at the car. And if you ever buy a car, you want that to happen. So I told this guy, I said, look, I'm going to give you the money and drive back. And the first thing I'm going to do is go to my mechanic. And if he finds, you know, a dead body in the hood or something, you know, I'm calling you. And he was real cool. He's like, no problem. He said, but if you roll it and crash it on the way home, it's yours, bro. You know, that, that's on you. And we shook on it and all the rest. And I'll tell you, when I got home, first place I went was the gas station. And the second place I went was Starbucks. But the third place, if you, you would, was the mechanic. I went to PJ, Paul Martinson. I said, hey, 
fire this up, man. Plug it in. Like, look at it. Everything. Everything. Find out. We put it on the rack and got it up and checked everything and plugged it in. And when the computer came up, there was a few minor issues, real minor stuff. And Paul looked at me and said, you want to deal with this? I said, yeah, what are the parts now? This is, it's not, not a big deal. It's not worth taking back. Let's deal with it, though. And when, you, when the, the Lord is so kind to plug you in and look you in the eye and say, you want to deal with this now? And if you're wise, like these guys who showed up and had the monitors plugged to their hearts, oh, it looks like I'm a wicked viper. <laughs> can, we, can we deal with this? The answer is yes, you can. God will give you a new nature and a new rhythm because nobody wants to be lied to. We want that truth handed to us. And when you hear the truth, it sets you free and you begin to want more of it. I've told the story way too many times. I'll tell it quickly. When Eddie Townsend went to the Wild Goose bar there in Ashland, Oregon, uh, near I-5, and he was doing open mic years and years ago, and he got up on stage at this like kind of rough bar, smoking indoors and all the rest back then, and we went with him so we could uh, take his body out after they um, <laughs> murdered him. And, um, and so when he got up to preach at this open bar with drunk people everywhere, and I was looking for the exits, okay, there's one there, one there, I know where to go, and, and he got up and said, you've all heard of the love of Jesus and grace and forgiveness, and I'm here to tell you about the other side of the coin. And I had no idea what his topic was. He said, I'm here to tell you guys tonight about the great white throne judgment seat. And right then, I was like, I'm going outside, you know. <laughs> you, got, you got this, bro, you know. And I kid you not, some of the hecklers that were early on, some of the naysayers, when, when he preached this truth, guys, the only way his, his, his ending point was, everyone's going to face a judgment of some sort, and only Jesus Christ can deliver you from your sins and get you into heaven. And you need to give your life to Jesus. And these drunk bikers and mean people, I'm not, I was sitting, I watched the whole thing. They started nodding and clapping. You're right. What you're saying is right. You know, bring the next act up. You know, I couldn't believe it. I thought we were going to get killed. The truth. No one wants to be lied to. The truth of the matter is that you and I are sinners. Okay, our culture is serving up a bunch of baloney, liberal, crazy educated, governmental ideas, National Geographic, PBS, sorry to use names, but stuff. But here's our idea. Here's what's happening. Here's where we went weird. Let's give it a title. Let's give it a, well, we're sinners. It's simple. It's simple. I talked to a lady here four weeks ago. Maybe she's here now. Kind of doubt it. And I said something about sin. And, oh, welcome to church. It was her first Sunday ever. I said, oh, welcome. I said, here's the deal. You know, we're all sinners. She said, I'm not a sinner. <laughs> all right. Let's start. I said, do you know the definition of sin? And she didn't. I said, it's very easy. It's fun. Definition of sin is an archery term. To go anywhere outside of bullseye in everything you've ever done. And she got it. She's like, oh, well, yeah. Then, well, then I am a sinner. I'm like, okay, cool. You, you have not been perfect. You have been imperfect. Repeatedly, time and time again in life, you have never, no one would ever say, well, I'm perfect. We're all sinners. Yet, the world today has swallowed a pill saying, well, of course I'm not perfect. Nobody is. Therefore, as long as I'm just like every other imperfect person, that's perfect. It's the new perfect. I'm just like everyone else. I'm not incarcerated yet. I'm not wanted in this county or whatever, you know. We have our systems and I just love sin. No sin. Have you, have you been perfect always? Well, no. Oh, cool. Let's start there. Because Christ, on the other hand, has been. And Christ, on the other hand, says, follow me. 
do what I do. And if you cannot, believe in me and accept my work for you. And if you do not, then your work will be what you present to the pearly gates when you get there and say, here's what I did. <laughs> Don't do that. Your offering, your, your worth and effort would be similar to pulling out a big lighter <clears throat> later today and saying, son, I notice you're having some trouble here on the Oregon coast. So I'd like to help you in lighting your lighter to accompany what the sun does for our green planet. You offering to heaven, here's what I can do, would be, it, it's, 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 what Je it's all about Jesus, because you're a sinner and so am I. I like to do the uh, good person test from time to time with people who are willing to talk and have a thoughtful conversation about their status. And I ask them, those who are non-believers willing to converse, I say, are you a good person? And I've never met a person that honestly, outside of a Christian, say, no, I'm actually not a good person. I'm real bad. Every person says, well, I'm, I'm, you know, there's a little hesitation, but some agree. You know, I was like, what does that even mean? I'm a good person compared to, you know, Hitler and stuff. You know, so I'll just pick somebody. Pick somebody, you know. I'm better than that guy or that gal. I'm a good person. Then I would say, okay, you're a good person. Good. That's great. So let's go ahead and set up your definition of a good person. I say, have you ever told a lie in your, in your life? Have you ever lied? And they say, well, yeah, yeah, everyone has. I said, okay, so at this point, your definition of a good person is he, he's a liar. You know, a good person, people are liars. And they're like, well, I, I don't know if I'd make it that clear. And I say, well, okay, let's just keep going. I'm going to ask you a few more questions, but now that I know you're a liar, I'm not sure if I can trust you <laughs> to answer these questions. But you do, you do. You ask them another question. Have you ever in your life ever stolen anything? Something wasn't yours, you know? Something from the, from the office or stolen, you know, a Wi-Fi signal or, you know, a piece of gum or stolen something? Like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess everyone has. Okay, so, every, so you're a good person, but you're a liar and a thief. Like, that's your definition. And you just keep going down. This is out of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie and thou shalt not steal. Then you ask them if they've ever, you know, lusted with their eyes or in their mind. If they've ever done something illicit towards somebody else that wasn't their spouse. You just ask, have you ever done that before? And like, <laughs> you know, and yes, of course. Who has and who has? And you're like, okay, so, so at this point, you're, you're admitted lying, stealing, adulterer with your eyes, and you're unrepentant in those things because everyone does them, but you're a good person. And you see, the logic of our society has led us to believe this. It's crazy town. So Jay the Beast shows up on the scene right before Jesus does, right before Jesus does, to say, hey, guys, if you want to know Jesus well, first thing you got to do is go low, okay? You got you to clear out the rubble. No more messing around. Don't make excuses. What was their excuse? These were Abraham's kids. You for real? Like, we don't need to. Are you for real? If the Messiah is here, he's going to want us, not us want him. Like, we're, we're in, like, you know, we're good. He's like, don't use those excuses, those culturalistic thinking. And there's so much pride in our culture today. There's sins that we've done. There's sins of commission, that is, things we've done, and sins of omission, things that we haven't done but we should have done. And I think you guys all get this, right? You get this. There's such liberty, such freedom when you realize I'm a total sinner. Like, it's not, even, it's not even hard to, like, fathom. I get, I'm so there. Like, thank you. What's next? What's next? And that's where that new nature kicks in. So free. Thank you, Jesus, for the truth in love. And I just love, again, John and his personality because he was such a weirdo. And I just am impressed with all of you weirdos. Look around. Look at the weirdos that are here. You guys are all so, use a different word, okay? Unique. Let's go unique. Okay, same thing. Weirdo. Same thing. You guys are totally unique, every human. 
You have your own personalities, your own disposition, your own experience. And you know what unites us is the truth in love. And it allows you to be you, to be authentic, to, to be free, to be real, to not have to prove anything to anyone. Don't try and be me and don't try and be them. Be you in truth and in love. And if you're Jay the Bee, dreadlocks and camel skin and, you know, grasshopper sticks with honey, you know, and all the rest. And, ah, just, I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody here. Just be you. Truth and love. I spent a lot of my younger days as a preacher trying to emulate other preachers that did well, that were good at what they did, and other ministries. And you can be encouraged and edified and even utilize some of those things. But once you find peace in your own personality, sanctified in Christ, okay, we're not all the same on purpose. It's radical, so radical. I would not encourage you to be like John the Baptist at all. Okay? Unless you're called to his ministry. But I would encourage all of us to be filled with love and truth and freedom. Well, this guy probably had some lonely nights, right? He's out there freaking out, just loving people in truth, but so free to be Jay the B. You and I can do the same. Be authentic, be you, be free. He was on a mission. Look at verse eight again he says therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and don't begin to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father i say to you that god is able to raise up children to abraham he says bear fruits worthy of repentance in other words if you've repented bear fruit worthy of it if you've changed to repent means literally to turn the other direction not 360 that's a different kind of that's, that's you didn't do anything to, to, to turn 180 degrees different than what you were doing to confess literally means to agree with, okay? So to confess, yep, that's a sin, and I'm going to repent from it, okay? That's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. He didn't say pay it back and do all, but he said when you, when you do that little juxtaposition, you're going to go a different route, and there's going to be different fruits in your life. Here's the bottom line. If you're a child of God today, that is, you're born again, not just looking for behavior modification, you're going to bear fruits worthy of, worthy of repentance. You're going to become like your Father in heaven. Do you know that? This gives me great joy as a man of God. That the longer I just stay connected to the vine, the longer I stay connected to Christ, the more like Christ I'll become. It's just guaranteed. I don't have to work that hard at it. Did you know that I have three kids and they don't have to work very hard to look like me and their mother? They don't get up every morning and look in the mirror and say, well, we've got to grow our nose a little bigger. Dad's got a little big nose there, you know, Grow our they don't do that. It's just natural. It's, just gonna, it's natural. They don't have to you know, work on their, their, their smiles or their mannerisms to mimic their parents. It's just natural. So too, John is saying, hey, your fruits will become more and more Christ-like if indeed you are in Christ. It's guaranteed so sweet and so fresh. And yet he encourages us to take care of ourselves and to bear these fruits and not to excuse our attitudes or actions don't do that there's no value in excusing you guys should know this by now but saul the, the horrible king excused his sin I, it's the people you know and i had a reason it's all going to work out and i wouldn't worry about it and samuel said boom kingdom gone you're done david did worse sins Ooh, really bad stuff stuff you don't want to talk about and david's like me, red-handed, 
Sorry. You know, whoa, that's repentance. There's going to be some consequences. Can't stop that. But there's also grace and forgiveness now. And I would tell you, don't make excuses for your sin. Own it. There's such freedom in it, such deliverance. God will work it out. It'll, the consequences will come and go, but the fruit will remain in Christ. Verse 9, he says, And even now the axe is being laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. God says, I'm going to actually do something so crazy. I'm not just going to worry about the outward behavior modification, the moralistic, therapeutic, deistic society you guys live in. Instead, I'm going to take the, the root and I'm going to change you and I'm going to give you new life. This, again, is very different than every other religion. Every other religion in the world says, do this first, and then you'll gain life and liberty and all the rest that they promise falsely. Jesus says, here's life. Now you're going to do this. You need to understand the difference. Religion, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Islam, Buddhism, Taoism, Zen, Meditation from the Eastern world, all of that says do and live. It's a lie. Yeah, there's no life in that. Christ says, hey, hey, let's stop with that. How about I give you life? And then guess what's going to happen? You're going to do. It's going to produce life in you. It's a crazy town. It's backward. It's crazy. It's a gift. Life. If you don't have the life of Christ in you, all you have is religion and do's and don'ts. He says, I'm laying the axe to the roots. We're starting over. Well, the people, verse 10, they asked him, saying, well, what do we do? They're freaking out. This would be an Old Testament question, by the way. What do we do? It's a pharisaical question. It's, it's a legalistic question. It's a question we all ask. What do I do? What do I do? Really, again, the impetus, the importance is on Christ. This is Old Testament preaching. Just... Wrap your mind around it. Go do some research later. This is J the B preparing the way for the Messiah to produce all of this once and for all. Well, here's, here's his practical logic, though. He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, that means too much, will let him give one to one who has none. That is not enough. And he who has food, let him do likewise. And the question is, is don't just give thought to others that are less fortunate, but give something material to them give. This is really important because we get jaded in our society, do we not? Uh, you know, give and we don't trust organizations and we don't trust people. <laughs> Just thinking this through how stingy we are at times. Uh, you know, I got two tunics. I don't even know what a tunic is, but I got two of them probably. You know, I got more than I need. And so the Lord's like, oh cool, can you give to people who don't have as much? And I'm like, well, what if they waste it? <laughs> and the Lord looks at me and says, you've wasted a lot. Oh, what if they use it on sin? And the Lord says, you've used my grace on sin a lot, Luke. Should we play the video? No. <laughs> Here's the deal. Your generosity, your willingness to share by the Spirit's leading will, is an outward sign of an inward work. Okay? The inward work is important. The outward sign... I'm not, that's not what he's advocating for. It's not what Jesus will bring. It'll be just, it's a fruit. It's a fruit. Again, don't get, we're, we're walking a real fine line here, folks, this morning between what the world says, do this and live, and Christ who says, live, and you'll do this. Okay, don't get the order mixed up. Don't do it. You're going to be real. You're going to be in a lot of trouble if you get the order mixed up. But he's telling them, do this. Verse 12, 
He says, and the tax collectors, they also came to be baptized. Wow, it's aggressive. And they, the tax collectors were so corrupt in those days. They were Jews who worked for Rome, and there was no real governance over these tax collectors. And so they had a quota to produce to Rome, but they could go above and beyond that quota quite easily amongst the people and did so. The tax collectors were hated. And so there's advice given to them too to clean up and prepare the way to be saved. Teacher, what shall we do? In verse 13, the answer, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Be honest in your dealings, simply. I'm going to tell you what, if you're a businessman or a businesswoman or in charge making decisions, you need to get to a point in your life where you choose integrity first. Let's just go, what's, what's the most integ integral route? What's the right thing to do? God will take care of your, your bottom line. He'll take care of what you are trying to take care of in yourself. And this idea, and I want to get this so much in all the little, little nooks and crannies of my life and what I do and the choices and decisions and negotiations. I'm pretty quick in my mind at times to consider how this might work out to benefit me. And he says, look, if you're in charge of monies and stuff, just get it right with the Lord. Trust him in that. He goes on to say this. And he said to them, uh, verse 14, likewise, the soldiers asked him, these are Roman soldiers. I mean, this must have been a crazy baptism party. Like, you think, you think what we do at Agate Beach is nuts? This was nuts, okay? Tax collectors are there. They're like, hey, can we get a part of this? You know, I'm like, what? Nobody likes you. And the Romans are like, how about us? I'm like, what? This is a revival preparing the way for Christ. He tells these guys, though, verse 14, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. In the Greek, literally, it says don't shake down for money. Don't use your, your, your authority to be a bully, to be a brute. He says also, don't accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So much with this idea of authority, and we don't have this problem here in America as much as it is experienced there or other foreign countries where the military and the police and everyone's corrupt. Everyone is corrupt. Here, there are pockets of corruption, small pockets, not the majority. Don't be deceived. Okay, we're very blessed in our country, servicemen and, and women, okay? First responders, we're so blessed. He says to these guys, you're in charge. You rule, okay? So when you do so, don't be a bully. Don't rob folks. Don't intimidate. Be happy with what you get paid. I mean, this stuff's so really basic. If you think about John the Baptist who shows up fired up, and like, what do we do? He's like, okay, well, just, you know, don't be an idiot. You know, don't, don't be mean. Be nice. Be on, you know, all this. So logical. And I really love the balance. He tells these guys, don't be jerks. It's a good message for somebody here. Verse 15, now as the people were in expectation, that is, they're heightened. What is happening? This is so radical. And all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. Wouldn't that be a, 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 an interesting point to be in in your ministry? Everyone's talking. Everyone's baptized. You know, and John's, what are you talking about? We're just wondering if you're the Messiah. We realize we need the Messiah. They're in, in expectation. And begin looking for the Messiah. By the way, I just need to ask this. Where's your expectation at right now? My expectation gets so convoluted and so lost in so many things. The Bible instructs us, keep your expectation in heaven, in God, okay? It, don't, don't grow weary in that stuff. Expect, expect, look, hope, believe. Look for the Messiah. Well, these guys start asking this question. Are you the one? Are you the, are you the dude? And John's answer, so powerful. 
verse 16. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. That's easy. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandals strap I am not worthy to loose. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's saying, I can help you a little bit and coach you. I can touch your outsides and make it look better, tell you not to be a jerk and tell you to give and to be generous. That's not hard. But there's one coming. And I wonder if he was smiling or yelling or smile yelling. I don't know. There's one, there's one coming. I'm going to baptize you guys, okay? But there's one coming who's going to change everything for you. He's going to radically change everything. And I will, he doesn't say this, but he knows it, and I will perish. I will be no more. I am just a baptizer in the water. There is one coming who will baptize you in fire and fill you with the Holy Spirit. I can tell you to empty your pockets and get you wet. This one will baptize you and fill you with power from heaven. The one who's coming. Now I say that because in Acts 16, I believe, there's a group of people that are preaching the baptism of John. And Paul, 20 years later, meets them. He's like, hey, brothers. And it says after a little bit, Paul sensed something odd. And he asked him, you guys follow Jesus? You baptize the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't know what you're talking about. What are you doing then? He says, well, we're preaching for the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the baptism of John. That is one of getting things right and getting things ready. And he said, oh, no. The one who is to come has come. His name's Jesus. And, he, and Paul baptizes them, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and the thing goes crazy. My point is this. If you guys and gals and us and me connect with Jesus Christ in a real way, the one who fills us with the Holy Spirit and baptizes us with fire. Fire does stuff, okay? Water does stuff too, okay? But fire really does stuff. Fire refines, purifies, strengthens, takes over. This is what a Christian looks like. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus, to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. I need to say this, and I think most of you are even keeled here. You guys get this. But to be on fire for Jesus doesn't mean that you're foaming out of the mouth and getting crazy. You know, Man, that guy's on fire, maybe. You and I have the potential, capability in Christ to all of us be on fire. That is to be in that process of refinement in our whole lives, growing closer to God, more like Jesus, daily. And you notice in the scriptures, it's called the refiner's fire, not the refiner's hot tub. It's oftentimes uncomfortable. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to move in you. Oh, cool, because you like me? No, because you need me. I love you. And I'm going to move in. And you can get baptized in water. That's fine. And I'll, I'll, I need to say this, because we do a lot of baptisms. And some people got baptized by John, and they were John's converts for years. And if you become one of my converts... Or South Beach Church convert. Or you go to an Easter service or get a sticker or grab a hoodie and put it on. Okay, the first trial or storm that comes your way, you're done. Because there's not enough fire within my life to give to you or share with you. I'm like, I, I can baptize you in water. But there's one coming who will set a fire in you that will not be quenched. That no matter what happens, no matter how dry it gets, no matter how cold you become, no matter how weird life is. Okay. You have the one thing that changes everything, Jesus Christ. When you get Jesus Christ, 
you like John the Baptist can be in jail later in his ministry and say, hey, send a message to Jesus. Just confirm it's him because I'm about to die and I don't want to worry about it. I want to make sure it's him. And when you know Jesus and your kids know Jesus, okay, I don't have to worry about it. When you, like me and like us or another pastor, that doesn't matter. Anybody else but Jesus. Oh, just, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. I need, I need to add these closing thoughts in before we run out of time here this morning. He goes on to speak about the Messiah, what he will do. Verse 17, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff will, he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. Stop right there, eyes up here. Whoa. This guy was an illustration guy. The one who's coming. I can't even touch his Nikes. He's going to fill you with fire and baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And he's got a winnowing fan. A winnowing fan was like this wicker shovel that wasn't used for shoveling, but for creating massive wind. And what they would do is they would take their wheat, which is surrounded by chaff. The chaff is useless and a problem. And they would take that wheat and they would rough it up and throw it in the air. And they would get crazy on the threshing floor and just mess with it real bad. And then they would take their winnowing fan, and that wind would blow over this good wheat and bad chaff, and it had been roughed up through the process, and the chaff would be blown to the back of the barn or outside. And they would keep doing this process over and over until all the chaff had been not just broken off, but blown out. This is what God does in your life and in my life. He said, I love you. I'm going to do stuff, not just moralistic, therapeutic deism, which is to worship morals, to do good and feel good and to do bad and feel bad. God says, I'm going to give you my good and you'll do good. Not just behavior modification. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. I change everything. But listen to me. I'm going to get the chaff out of you. I'm going to, I'm going to purify you. And right now, you're all in that process. Right now. It's the already, not yet deal. You're already saved. You're already sanctified. You're already sealed. The Bible actually says you're already seated in heaven. Trip out. Six dimensions type stuff. Yeah, we're not there yet. Kind of feel like I'm getting chaffed a little bit. <laughs> getting roughed up, dropped on my head a couple times. Yeah, that stuff that doesn't matter in my life is getting dropped. And then the wind, and God says, yeah, I'm purifying you, man. Don't resist it. Don't worry. I got you. In the next verse, we don't really have time to get into it, so I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us in a closing song where you have an opportunity to repent today and take communion. So, Kat, could you come up and, and lead us in this song? I would say this. In the next verse, Herod, Herod, Herod Antipas, Herod the great son, he gets rebuked by J the B. J the B calls him out on his stuff. Chaff. And Herod says, I don't really like that. You're chaffing my chaps. And he arrests them, says, you're done. Everyone in the whole world will hear the message of God some way, whether through creation or through the word or through angels or through the Holy Spirit. Every single person will hear. I believe it. But there's only two responses, to accept it or to reject it. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, I am so thankful for this story. 
I'm so thankful, Lord. And our technology and where we're at now and all that is going on, that we can look back in history at the Bible. And so you know what happened before this? Really cool stuff. And so we cling to what happened then, thousands of years ago. As able to change now. I love baptizing people. It's fun. But there's no power in me. The power is in you. And if you're here this morning and you're saved, or maybe you're not saved, but you need to be saved, you are a sinner. Either way, if you're here today and you want the fire of God to fill you and the power of the Holy Spirit to lead you and the winnowing wind of our Christ to change you, would you truly raise your hand to the Lord and to Him only? I'm not looking. I don't want to look. If you want the Lord, maybe you're already saved, but you're just not on fire and you're like, you know what? I'm just so cold. I just, I don't have any... I don't feel convicted about anything I'm doing in my life right now at all. I just feel fine. I, 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 I may be in trouble. I need to take my soul to the mechanic and have him plug it in. Just raise your hand right now and say, Lord, plug me in. Plug me in and, and, and don't lie to me. Don't, don't keep the truth. I, yeah, let's order the parts right now. What do we need? Raise your hand right now if you need to repent of your, your sin, your waywardness, your confusion, your rebellion your fear, your worries, your pain. Maybe you're just so overwhelmed with pain. You're so disappointed in somebody or something and you just justified that and you're all messed up and you need to be delivered. Lord, raise your hand. God, may you be honored in your kids today as they raise their hands, knowing that they need you, confessing, Lord, that they need you, that as they were to ask John the Baptist, what should we do? And he would point to Jesus and we raise our hands and say, we want Jesus and we're gonna come to the table now. We're gonna celebrate Jesus and we're gonna trust in Jesus. All of us are just a brood of vipers. But we look to the one who took the venom upon himself. We love you, Jesus. We take this time now, examining ourselves, proclaiming your death until you come. We do this in your name. Amen.